0: Turn to Acts chapter 28. We have a short reading this morning, Acts 28, 1 through 10. The last we were in the book of Acts, we learned of Paul's journey across the sea with 275 other men. They were on a ship that was set upon by a nor'easter and driven out to the sea, and for fourteen days they went hither and yon. But the Lord had his hand upon their root, and he has brought them to an island, and the island is the island of Malta. Let us pray and then read. Our gracious God and Father, we now come to the public reading of Scripture, as is your will, and to its preaching, as is your will. And so, Lord, we ask with great confidence, doing that which you have commanded in your word, we pray that you would help us. We pray that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word. I pray, Lord God, that you would grant all your children to recognize the voice of their master and come out from the world afresh and draw near to him and rest upon his love and mercy and walk in his footsteps, with a holy obedience. And Lord, for any among us who are not yet united to Jesus Christ by faith through the Holy Spirit, who are yet dead in their sins, Lord, if there are any among us who are of your elect, grant their hearts to be opened by the powerful voice of the living God and grant them, Lord, salvation today. For today is the day of salvation. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Acts 28, verse 1 through 10. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time, and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him, And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. This is God's word. After David had been anointed king over Israel, God began prospering his household And his kingdom, his family multiplied, his wealth increased, and his armies became strong and many. And one of the first orders of business for the new king was to drive out his nearest enemies, the Philistines. So in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we read that King David entered upon two early battles. And for both of these battles, he was very careful to seek the Lord's direction And wait for it. And he did, and the Lord gave him victory. David then immediately went with 30,000 of his men to fetch the Ark of the Covenant and bring it up into Jerusalem. The Ark, if you remember, had been in seclusion for 50 years. But as David was bringing it up to the city of Jerusalem, this very strange and difficult thing happened with a man named Uzzah. The oxen pulling the cart had stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand, and he touched the ark to steady it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against him for this casual, this profane regard for the ark. God struck Uzzah down, and he died right there next to the ark and the cart. The text of 2 Samuel 6, 8 through 9 Says the Lord's anger made King David angry and afraid. So David refused to bring the ark up to Jerusalem. But nearby, to where Uzzah lie dead was the house of another man named Obed Edom the Gittite. David took the ark to his house. It remained in the house of Obed Edom for three months until David came back and took it to Jerusalem, dancing in front of it. What made David change his mind after three months about the ark? The answer in brief is the bounty of Jesus Christ. The bounty of Christ was reported to David in these words, Second Samuel 6.12. It was told the king... The Lord has blessed the household of Obed Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. Obed Edom had received the Lord into his home. Obed Edom was not hardened against the Lord's holiness. Obed Edom was not ashamed of the Lord's justice. He was not afraid that the Lord's goodness and mercy had somehow vanished. Behind this random and unreasonable anger, Obed Edom was a man full of grace. The Lord had already visited the heart of Obed Edom before bringing the ark to his house. And it stayed there for three months while the Lord just piles on the bounty. Beloved, it was also for three months that the Lord piled bounty on the people of Malta. Look at verse 11. I know I'm cheating. I'm going one more verse than I started. Verse 11, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island. A ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as figurehead. For three months, just like at Obed-Edom's house, the Lord poured down the bounty to the people of this little island called Malta. When Paul and the others finally set sail after winter, The father of Publius has been healed of his dysentery. And the text says that the rest of the people on the island have been cured of their diseases. The bounty of Christ had come. Like a warm wind in the winter, it had come and turned the island of Malta into the healthiest place on the earth. It was the same bounty that had come upon the household of Obed-Edom, It is the bounty of Jesus Christ. This is the big picture of what happened on the island of Malta. The risen Christ invaded that island with his servants, three whom we know by name, Luke, Paul, and Aristarchus. The risen Christ invaded this little island, not to take life, but to give it, and to give it, and to give it. Let's remember how Peter once described the earthly ministry of Christ. In Acts 10, Peter is at the house of Cornelius. Remember him? The centurion of the Italian cohort. Peter's in his house. The house is packed with people. And Peter stands up and says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Acts 10, 38. Peter had just there described our Lord's earthly ministry. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. This is the bounty of Christ. From his divine fullness, Jesus beautified and blessed sinners who were so easily led around and so easily oppressed by the devil because of their sin. Now, in the island of Malta, we see that this bounty of Jesus Christ has not been withdrawn. Yes, he has been raised from the dead. Yes, he has been enthroned in heaven as the king of heaven. Yes, he is seated at the right hand of God. But even now, in the heavenly ministry of Jesus Christ, his bounty continues upon the earth. How did Paul get to Malta? How would you answer that question? Please don't answer right now. How did Paul get to Malta? Nobody on that ship had charted Malta as a destination. But he who is now above the stars, he who is now above the sea, he who is now above the storms, our Lord Jesus Christ, he brought Paul Malta. And why Malta? Because the island of Malta, which has come into view at the end of the book of Acts, is the very kind of place described at the front of the book of Acts. In Acts 1, verse 8, just before he ascended to heaven, Jesus said to his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria, and as far as the remotest part of the earth. That's Malta, the remotest part of the earth. It is the kind of island you find after 14 days of being randomly driven across the open sea by a storm. 15 miles long, 6 miles across, Stuck out in the middle of nowhere. But it is the very place Christ chooses to bring the bounty of his kingdom. For Christ's kingdom shows no partiality. It is not just for the urban centers that everyone knows, it is for Clintonville. Okay, you know that one. Let me try again. It is for East Thetford where I pastored for 10 years. It is for East Burlap, which is a friend of mine's phrase for every town that nobody's ever been to. (laughs) Christ's kingdom shows no partiality. It is for the remotest places of the earth. You should never read the book of Acts without folding the first 10 verses of Acts 28 upon verse 8 of chapter 1, because this is what Luke has been doing he has been showing us the ever-expanding concentric circles of the kingdom and its, its advance as announced by our Lord himself in Acts 1.8. And now we've come to the last part, the remotest parts of the earth. It is not just for the known people of the world, the bounty of Christ. It is also for the unknown peoples of the world. The common term for such people in the ancient world was barbarian. And this word is actually used twice in our Greek text this morning. Verse 2 and verse 4, where it is translated the native people. In the Greek, it is barbaroi. Barbaroi. The barbarians are on the island of Malta. This means they did not speak Greek The language of the empire, Romans thought them to be the uncivilized because they didn't speak the Greek language. But look how they put to shame many Roman cities by their great kindness shown to the Apostle Paul. Chrysostom and Calvin are right that this note about the kindness of the Maltese is in our Bibles to shame all the highbrow cities of men who think that kindness is beneath them because of their greatness. Beloved, let me challenge you. And I'll warn you, I'm going to do it again before we're done this morning. But let me challenge you. If you need to be shamed by the kindness of the Maltese to Paul, let your heart, let your life be shamed. If you are lacking in kindness, if you are unwilling to be inconvenienced by the needs of others who are in misery, You should be shamed by the word of God. The whole Roman Empire is being shamed by these Phoenicians, is who they really were, who can only speak Phoenician, most of them, on this little island in the middle of the sea. Paul, of course, thought of these people better than most Romans would have, or Jews. He knew that they were the very people to be included in the Christ's great harvest of souls. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 1.14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to Barbaroi. Both to the wise and to the foolish. His, his Savior has bound him to find them. And if he can't find them, let the heavenly navigator find them. You might be seasick when you get there, but they will be found. Now... Several times I've spoken of the bounty of Christ, but what exactly is it? Well, the bounty of Christ, which quite unexpectedly comes to the island of Malta, it always comes in two stages when it comes. Always. It comes as both good news and good works. And we see these two stages in our text in the very same order. First, the good news of the bounty of Christ, and then the good works. And what is the good news that comes to Malta? It's in verse two through six. The good news is that death has been defeated in Jesus Christ. That's what this whole incident about the snake or the viper is about. When that viper leaped from the fire and sunk its poisonous bite into Paul's hand, that was Satan and the powers of hell trying to silence and destroy Christ's servant. Now, you are not permitted to say that about every snake that tries to bite you on the boot. You know why you're not permitted to say that about every snake that tries to bite you on the boot? Or every one that you hit with your lawnmower? You're not allowed to say that that is Satan trying to silence the ministry of the gospel because Scripture is saying that about something reported in Scripture. It is not saying that about every snake that bites you on the boot. Scripture binds us to see that which we are seeing in a particular way. And so we must say it about this. We know that this was Satan and the powers of hell trying to silence and destroy Christ's servant because of another scripture. It's so helpful to let scripture interpret scripture. Jesus in Luke ten eighteen tells us what is happening in Acts 28. After the 72 disciples returned from their short-term gospel mission within Israel, they said to our Lord, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven behold I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy nothing shall hurt you nevertheless do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven Luke 10 the same author who just said in Luke 10 that our Lord said nothing shall hurt you says now in Acts 28 nothing hurt Paul from this snake, What we are seeing in Acts 28, 1 through 10, is that the bounty of Christ at its core is a proclamation of what Christ has done in breaking the power of the enemy, the devil. And the power of the devil has been, ever since the fall of our first parents into sin, the power of the devil has been the power of death. He has been a murderer from the beginning. It has always been his desire to bring the image bearers of God, man and woman, into a state of everlasting separation from God. Man's physical death is the first death, where we are separated from all the living. Man's spiritual death is culminated, consummated, in the second death, where we are separated from God forever but it has begun in the fall of man. Satan delights, absolutely delights, to draw men and women into death and destroy the works of God. This desire was in Satan's mouth behind a lie when he first spoke to Eve in the Garden of Eden. He said the very opposite of what God said. He said to Eve, if you eat the fruit, he said, you will will not surely die. You will not surely die. He lied to steal, to kill, to destroy. He tempted our first parents to sin, and rejecting God's word, they did sin, and they brought our whole race into a state of sin under the rule of death. And we died even though we physically lived. As Paul said to the new Christians at Ephesus, You were dead in the trespasses trespasses and sins. That's Ephesians 2. We are born, beloved, because of our first parents and our own guilt. We are born in a state of separation from God. Dead in our trespasses. Desperately imprisoned in moral and intellectual darkness. Look at the darkness of these Maltese people. Within a time span of maybe five minutes, they go from declaring that Paul's a murderer without any evidence to declaring that he's a god without much evidence. He's going to disprove that he's a god when he prays for Publius's father. If he were a god, there would be no necess- necessity for intercession. But look how darkened their minds are. But the bounty of Christ, at its core, is the good news that in the death of Christ, the long reign of death over human beings has been broken. This is why the serpent does no harm to Paul. We have to let the Bible tell us what's going on in the Bible. This happens not only this... No harm. This happens not only to confirm that Paul is a legitimate apostle of Christ. This happens not only because Paul is predestined by Christ to stand before Caesar. Beloved, this happens also and chiefly because the power of all death has been taken away from the devil. And this is a public mockery of the devil. He, He sends the serpent out of the flames. It latches on, sinks its poison into Paul's hand. And it's like he got kissed by the devil. It's nothing. Nothing. It's a testimony to the triumph of Christ over the power of death. Hebrews 2.14 is our key verse for this core of the bounty of Christ. Good news that the power of death is broken. Listen to Hebrews 2.14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Jesus, that is. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The bounty of Christ, at its core, is destroying the power of death. But the power of death has not been destroyed. This is so important. The power of death has not been destroyed because we have somehow figured out a way to go around it. No, it has been destroyed by our going through death in union with Jesus Christ. He, the divine son, the eternal God, took to himself our flesh and blood. That through death, the text said, Hebrews 2.14, that through death... He might destroy death. He might destroy the power of death. So, by a covenant of grace, we participate in his death when the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ by faith. By a covenant of works, we participated in Adam's death and we all became sinners under the rule of Satan. But now, in the bounty of Christ, we partake of his covenantal death and become new creatures of life in his resurrection life. We become forgiven and people marked out for holiness and set on a pilgrim road to a heavenly country. So Paul says in Romans 6, 6, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Well, this brings us then to the second stage of the bounty of Christ. The first stage is good news. Proclamation. Death is defeated in the cross of Christ. The second stage is good works. And we see this vividly in all the healing and all the curing that Paul brings to the house of Publius and then the people of Malta. Are we supposed to have this same power of the risen Christ in our hands that we see Paul demonstrating on this island? The answer to that question is no and yes. First, the no. We are not given the power of the apostles simply because we are not apostles. They were given that power so we might be drawn to them and to their ministry and ultimately to their word as it is inscripturated and now in your Bibles. The apostles and the prophets stand out with the measure of power that has been given to them by the risen Christ so that we would listen to them and trust them and recognize that they are ours through Christ. That's the no. We are not apostles. So we do not have the measure of power to do the measure of good works they did. But now the yes. The power given to the apostles is the power to do good. That's the exact phrase Peter uses to describe the entire career of Jesus Christ when he's at Cornelius' house. He went around doing good. So the power given to the apostles is the power to do good in the strength and in the likeness of our master, Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are now reconciled to that power as those whose sins have been canceled by the cross of Christ. Therefore, that power is now given to us in measure to do good, to bring the bounty of Christ to the remotest places of the earth and those less remote. All believers have this power in a certain measure to do good. And understand with me, this power to do good is different than the kindness that you see from the Maltese people when they light up a fire for Paul and these 275 other sailors who are soaked, and now it's even raining. The, the goodness that we are talking about now in the bounty of Christ through our good works is not the same as the kindness even of the Maltese. Why? Because the kindness of the Maltese is a common grace kindness, which means that it is a gift to God that he gives to even the wicked, but it is also deficient because it is not the special grace of the redeemed. And let me show you. By God's common grace, the Maltese detest murderers. And so that's why they're so ready to be shocked that Paul has been bitten by a snake after surviving an extraordinary shipwreck. They show that they know that murder is wrong. But also, do you see this? They would leave a man to die because of their superstition. They sat there waiting for Paul to swell up. They did nothing because they were bound to that death we spoke of that leaves man morally and intellectually in darkness. He doesn't know the ways of God. He thinks he's doing right, but he's not. The Christian is the agent of God's bounty. The first stage and the second stage, we tell the good news that death and its power has been broken by the cross of Jesus Christ. And then we do good. Always ready to do good. And so what do you see with the Apostle Paul? Look at this man. He ought to be the captain of the ship by now because of what he did in Acts 27. They ought to put a crown on him and a scepter in his hand and lay fruit at his feet. They ought to have date palms fanning him. He ought to be given Publius's bed <laughs> for what he did on that ship. But what is Paul doing in this text? He is picking up sticks. You know how we know Paul is filled with the bounty of Christ and it is coming out? In his good works, he is a man who easily descends and associates with lowly things, which is exactly what he himself wrote in Romans 12. And he used a neuter Greek verb there. He said, associate with the lowly. He didn't allow us to lock that into just lowly people. Lowly things pick up sticks Brothers, let me challenge you again. This is the challenge I warned you about. Are all of your good works just common grace good works? Or are they the special grace good works of the Son of God who himself descended and associated with the most lowly of things? If you cannot descend if you cannot be inconvenienced, if you cannot do the grungy work of things that get no attention, you have not been touched by the special grace of the gospel. Your heart is hard, your will is steel, and you are cold in death. The good works of the Christian require the power of God. Otherwise, they are just common. Another word for common, the old theologians would say, is profane. They do something, but they do not honor Christ, for they are not by his power. So the bounty of Christ comes in two stages. It comes with good news. The power of death has been broken. It comes with good works. And so this is why the scriptures speak this way. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. You need his power. That's 2 Thessalonians 1.11. Or Galatians 6.9. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Galatians 6, 9, and 10. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Proverbs three twenty seven. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Beloved, the bounty of Christ belongs to the nations. It even comes to the miserable. It comes to the homeless. It comes to the alcoholic. It comes to the prostitute. It comes to the people that you don't want to spend more than two minutes with. The bounty of Christ will spend eternity with them. If they are the elect... Give them the good works that only the power of God can give to them. Stoop, descend. Praise God. The bounty of Christ has come to you. The Spirit of God has opened your heart with the announcement that the power of death has been broken at the cross of Christ. But the Spirit of God has done something else, He has given you a new heart. He has given you a new will. He has given you a new mind. And now you look upon the miserable as your brother, as your sister. They may not even ever be united to you in Christ, but they are united to you in human flesh, and you do not withhold the bounty of Christ from them. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the lesson of these 10 verses. We thank you that we see it is your will, O God, to put on display that death is nothing now to the Christian. We thank you that you have indeed made a strong and beautiful defense for your church that Paul is a true apostle. For he too tramples on serpents here without harm. But Lord, it is a great encouragement to us that the bounty of Christ is a bounty of life. Life for sinners who were dead in their trespasses. What a wonderful bounty this is to us. And we thank you, Lord, also for the bounty of good works that you would have us pour out upon the earth in the ways in which we are able in the circles in which we travel, what we have heard just now. Help us apply this to our lives. Help us reform our lives through faith, through repentance, through the fruit of your own spirit, and by your own power. In Jesus' name, amen.